Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances, so please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hello guys and welcome back to the Cash Talk podcast. Today I am again joined by Mason. Mason, how are you going? Going well, thanks Nick. Going well. That's good. You? Today I'm excited for this conversation because I think it's a really important one to have. Um, and we're going to be chatting about superannuation, parental leave, um, and I guess a bit about the gender kind of super gap and why it's really important to consider this, um, you know, when you are family planning and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this conversation and I think it's one that's well worth having. Me too. I think it's, I think it's be a really good one. It's something that doesn't often get talked about. Um, but I think it's really, really important when you are in this stage of life where you are having the family, potentially having some time off work and these types of things, where we can see that gap in the superannuation balances really, really grow. Um, and as we know, compounding is a massive thing when it comes to our superannuation balances. So to miss out on some really key years. Mm. It's a massive role and we see these massive gaps um between between spouses when they're in their 60s um and it's no it's no surprise why yeah yeah i think it's something that i guess when you're in the stage of life where you really can get the benefit of time and you know like starting early and getting that that say from 30 to 60, those years of compounding, you do often have other priorities. You know, you might be saving for a home or you're thinking about starting a family or you've already got a family. And so super kind of goes onto the back burner, which is fair enough. But I think that, yeah, it's a conversation that definitely needs to be had and is something that we should be thinking about um, as you're kind of going into those, those years. So I guess to start off with, why is it important for, like, I guess if, traditionally in a family setting maybe one parent is staying home to look after the kids um whether they do that full-time or they go back to work in a part-time capacity why is it important for the stay-at-home parent to still build their super um while they're out of the workforce it's a really good question and it, i think you can come at this from multiple ways but i want to firstly come at it from just a financial point of view um so if someone's out of work for however long they want to be out of work for for maternity leave um the superannuation fund's still there and that means there's still fees coming out of it. There's still potentially insurance premiums coming out of it as well. So if you're just relying on investment returns to cover those costs, that's fraught with risk um, because as we know, markets can go down. So if you if the market mm. does go down, plus you're taking out all the fees, premiums, and you're not contributing anything along the way, you actually may find when you go back to work, your balance is actually lower than when you left. And yeah. so for me, that's, really really problematic because uh, you've lost so so many years of one compounding potentially buying at a lower price too as you're sort of buying in but yeah it's the other way i want to sort of look at it too is unfortunately at the moment when people are on parental leave they aren't paid superannuation on this government leave and these types of things so you're getting no contributions along the way so there are some sort of strategies you can do to help even at a balance um some people might say, Mason, but as long as someone's getting the, the contributions, it doesn't actually matter. Yes and no. Um, 
I'd like to think that as a household, you're earning an X amount of money. Can the superannuation contributions then be split evenly across both parties? Um, for everyone's doing their work for the household, surely the spouse can get some super contributions as well. I think that's a really, really good and healthy way to look at it um, as, a, as an entire pot rather than just this is mine, this is yours. Um, but Nick, what, what do you think? Why do you think this is so important that the superannuation balances continue to grow when we are during this period of life? Yeah, well, I guess in terms of, like, it's difficult. From a household perspective, I guess you always want to have that belief that, like, we're going to be together forever and so what's yours is mine and that's all good and whatnot. Um, and so we know that, you know, no super is paid on government paid parental leave, generally not on employer paid parental leave either. Sometimes they do, but they don't have to. Um, and obviously, like we talked about before, the power of time for compounding those returns. And it's not one of those things where you can kind of just fix it up later when you're like, you know, in your 50s and you're thinking about retirement, because by that point, you've sort of lost the power of compounding over that time. So it's really important to start early. But I guess... I believe it's important because statistically we see women do have a lot less super than men. Um, and unfortunately, even though in theory, in kind of situations like divorce and things like that, the super should be split evenly or assets at least should be split evenly. But typically we still see that women have a lot less super than men and men get a lot of the kind of benefits from the tax perspective of putting money into super. So I think that like it's really important to have that conversation about both putting money into super because I see it the same as you as like it doesn't matter whether the father's staying at home or the mother's staying at home like everyone's doing labor whether you're in an office or you're out doing a trade or you're looking after the kids it's all labor and I think it's really important that you know, both people have their superannuation balances growing. Now, that's obviously like more of my beliefs in terms of equality and whatnot, but it also is important from some more financial perspectives in terms of um, if you do have, say, one really high income earner and they're getting a lot of super contributions, it can be important later down the track in terms of total super balances. So like the total amount you can move from super to pension phase, and it can be better off if that's, I guess, equalized between the two members of the household um and another one another situation can kind of be where there's like an age gap um between spouses so one might have access to super a lot earlier than the other and then it's important to consider okay who's are we um contributing to and that might not always be like the default person who is maybe working full-time and the other staying at home so sorry I just rambled on for a very long time but um yeah that's a bit of an overview of why I think it is really important. Um, yeah, anything you wanted to add on that one? No, but I think you make, you raise a really good point. Of course, equalization is a, a key thing what we're sort of aiming for for this podcast, but there are also some really, really key financial benefits of doing these types of strategies later on, as you say, um, particularly around the Centrelink and the accessing super. Like you can get some crazy good benefits if you manage this well um, mm -hmm. and not just rely on what who's earning more and things of that nature so i think that's really really important so nick what is what is one strategy that's a common one to help even the score when it comes to superannuation yeah so one of the main ones is contribution splitting um which means that so we have our concessional contribution cap for contributions that you claim a tax deduction for now you can split um 
like as much of this as you like over to your spouse or up to 85%, uh, so the after-tax amount over to um, your spouse. So you could essentially send the full amount to them. You could send half to them. You could send a portion to them, which um, I think is really good. Um, and then also we see spouse contributions are a pretty common one that are used um, where essentially the person making the contribution, they make it on behalf of their spouse, so up to $3,000, and then they can get a tax offset for them. So there's a couple of rules around it, like you have to earn below a certain amount. Um, those are the main two that I'm sort of aware of, but anything you want to elaborate on on those, Mason? No, I think they're the two uh, the two key ones. I think we should start with the spouse contribution um, and then move mm. to contribution splitting. I think contribution splitting is something that's not really well known. I think the yeah. spouse contribution gets flown, thrown around a little bit, but contribution splitting is a really powerful strategy that not many people know about. I think I think it's one of the most underutilized strategies in the in our kit bag. Um, but if we start with a spouse contribution, so as you said, you can put in the after-tax contribution for your spouse of $3,000 per year. Um, you can do more than that if you like. You just don't get the tax offset. Um, mm. It doesn't keep going up, unfortunately. So you can't just do as much as you like. Um, but then, and then if you do that, the, the tax offset up to about 540. Um, so that, it's not like a massive thing, but I mean, it, it's a nice incentive to do it um, anyway. So I think if you're in this situation and you've got that money there to do it, by all means. Um, so if your spouse earns less than, I think it's $37,000 now, you can claim that maximum tax offset up to $40,000. So any over $40,000, they won't get any offset by putting extra money. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It's just, yeah, you don't get that that economic incentive to do so. But there are some rules around this spouse contribution as well. So the spouse can't have exceeded their own non-concessional cap for the year. So you can't go over that cap. So that's important to know. Their sewer balance um, has to be below the transfer balance cap of that 1.9 million that's sitting out now. And they can't be over 75 years of age either. So that's just something to keep in mind too. So you can't just keep smashing away when you're over 75. Um, but I think it's important as well, Nick, to define what is a spouse in a situation. Um, I think it's really, really important. So under Australian superannuation law, a spouse is someone who you're legally married to. I think that's everyone can sort of agree to that but also a de facto partner. Um, so you may not be married to them, but you live with them on a genuine domestic basis in a relationship as a couple. So that's either way you can be a spouse under super law. Um, however, the ATO does state that if you're legally married to someone, but you live separately and apart on a permanent basis, that person's actually not regarded as a spouse under super law. So under general law, you're a spouse because you're married. But under super law, no. So just add extra complexity to the spouse contribution, something to keep in mind. If you're not living together, um, you're not actually not counted as a spouse under super law. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, but yeah, the spouse contribution, is, it's relatively an easy one, but I think a good one just to just to sort of keep in the kit bag if it's something you want to do. Mm, yeah, 100%. And yeah, I think obviously talking about it from like a family perspective is really important because if you're like family planning and whatnot and planning with your partner in terms of your financial situation, um, yeah, super important. But I guess this is also, for me, I've always thought that this is like the broader conversation is like getting young people kind of understanding their super and whatnot early um, because 
often we might, you know, not have, say you start working when you're 15. I mean, I started working when I was 14. So like you've got a long time until you're going to be accessing super when you start your super contributions. Um, and yeah, like knowing what your super's invested in, how it's invested, how like how much is it in growth assets? Is it in defensive assets is really important because if you kind of don't start looking at that until you're in your 40s or something like that, you've missed quite a long time of being invested maybe appropriately. And yeah, I just think the more we know about our super from a young age and the more proactive we are with it, um, the better it is. And yeah, it is it's quite an interesting one because like you often think oh kids will just kind of happen when they happen which I'm like it does but there are a lot of kind of nuances around different like paid parental leave schemes and things like that and I know I've been chatting to some of my friends about it in the sense that you know you might have to like work at a certain place for a certain amount of time before you can get leave and then if you want to have a second child you have to wait for a couple more years and just like all of these factors that I think the earlier we think about them and consider them, um, the better, because you don't want to be sort of on the back foot. Um, So, yeah, I also think the asset allocation is a really important one to think about when you're young and you're starting to contribute to super. Absolutely. And these all these strategies we sort of talk about, spouse contribution, contribution splitting, while they're great, and your super needs to be invested accordingly. Um, as you say, with the asset allocation, because you, you can you can do these strategies all you like, but if your super's not invested appropriately, then yes, there is some benefit, of course, but not as much benefit as you'd probably hope. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good, a really important point you made there, Nick. And it's, it is a it's a bit of a minefield, and I think these strategies need to be part of the the child plan. Like we often don't think about the fine. Well, I mean, we do think about the financial aspect, but not the superannuation aspect when mm-hmm. it comes to our baby planning and these things um so i think these strategies can really um, play a play a strong role um in just helping helping things continue to tick along to tick those long-term financial goals um so i think it's really really important but nick i think we've talked a bit about spouse contributions so let's move into contribution splitting now we did touch on a little bit so you said we can split up to 85% of our concessional contributions. So that's employer contribution, salary sacrifice, personal deductible contributions, these things to our spouse. But there are some important things to be aware of, aren't there? Yeah, correct. So I guess with this one, yeah, the main one is it has to be those before tax contributions and it has to be deductible contributions. So it can't be any non-concessionals, like any that you're not going to claim a deduction for. Um, And yeah, you can do it for, so contributions made in the last financial year, and then you sort of like lodge it in the next, the next year. Um, Yeah, that's the main ones around contribution splitting. Anything. Agree. No, I agree. Uh, is, yeah, you're right. Because I think sometimes we get confused, like what contributions can we actually split? So yes. there, are, there are some strict rules around that. But something else I we, we need to mention too is not all super funds actually allow it. Um, because you actually you have to submit your contribution splitting request to your super fund. Mm. Your super fund may not have it in their bylaws to allow it. Um, so being aware of that, so don't don't hinge all your hopes on being able to do this strategy and then your super fund says, Oh no, you can't actually do that. Um Yes, you probably find some workarounds and things of that nature, but it's important to know what your super fund actually allows because um, it's not just 
all allow it, um, unfortunately. Mm. Um, they're getting better. I think it, it's it's getting a lot more um, mainstream now. But there are yeah, there are some funds that don't allow it. So it's important to to be aware of that. Um, but we we touched on some of the benefits. Um, so we've got we talked about potentially the um, early access to superannuation. So potentially splitting with your spouse. This might be someone in there. They might be in their late fifties, and their partner might be in their early fifties. It's like, okay, I might be able to access my super a bit earlier than you. How about I split, the younger spouse splits their contributions to the older spouse so we can access money earlier and potentially use that money for maybe paying down debt and all these other things or maybe just early retirement. Um, mm. So I think that's that's a really exciting strategy. Like when you get mm. to that point, like this is not more, this isn't really equalization at this point. It's more just taking advantage of what you can do. Um, but I, like, I've also been, been advising for a little while and it doesn't often get used. Yeah. It really doesn't. Um, I mean, it's a, it's pretty it's pretty niche sort of situations, but I think it's really, really powerful, don't you, Nick? Yeah, hundred percent. Especially because, like, at that point, if you're both, you know, you're both thinking about retirement, you're working together, like you would want it. The more funds you can get into that tax-free pension environment the better. Sorry. I also agree. Like, I don't think I don't see it used super often, but when I do see it used, it's like, yeah, it can make sense. Particularly if you've got like, you know, you might have a five, six, seven, eight year, 10 year age gap between. So that's like quite a big, that's quite significant. So um, yeah, it's really good. It's really good, handy little strategy there um, that can make a big difference. Absolutely. And I think this strategy also can play a role if you're someone who may be get, looking to get the age pension as well. So the, also we've got the asset and income test and things this nature, but this is really key around the asset test. So there's some key nuances about the asset test that this strategy can really play a role in. So the accumulation fund of the spouse that's not yet age pension age doesn't actually count as an asset. So if you start splitting contributions to the younger spouse, they still keep it in accumulation and then you get to age pension age and you've got less super than you would have if you didn't do the splitting mm. may mean more pension at the end of the day and you've actually you haven't lost anything by doing it you've just been smart around how you've managed those assets so i think it's a really really powerful one if you're on the cusp of getting the age pension or not this is something you can look to do but we talked about the balance caps before too so 1.9 million at the moment, but there was also that talk of the late Labor government bringing in that $3 million um, cap on balances and then extra tax on there. So if you are a high income earner and you're just starting out your career and you might be already earning really good money, project this forward. You may be someone who's going to be in that category where you've got a high super balance. And if you haven't planned this ahead, you might pay extra tax where you might not have needed to if you split with your spouse earlier on and so, okay, we can build up your super fund as well. So then your total super balance combined is the same, but it's more even and you're not getting these extra taxes. You're not going over these caps and things. Hard to sort of envision where you're going to be that mm. far away, but just having to think about saying, okay, I'm a high income earner and I'm probably going to re remain a high income earner for hopefully my working life. Let's plan this now, and then it could save me thousands and thousands down the track. Like it's it's not an exaggeration to say tens of thousands down the track, um, which is huge. Um, but the reason the reason this popped into my head this week because I was having a strategy meeting with one of my clients, 
And they're, they're two o'clock. One one spouse is the main income earner, and the other spouse is sort of at home with the kids. Does a little bit of work, um, but works school hours, picks up the kids, drops them off, all this type of stuff. And they love that type of their lifestyle. But they're in this time of their life where they need insurances, and some of the insurance are funded by superannuation. And because she's not earning that much money at the moment, her super contributions from her employer aren't covering the insurance premiums. So I was like, what do we look to do? Because we, we don't want this balance of eroding over time while the kids are at school because we want to keep the building up. We're going to use a contribution splitting strategy. So we're going to split some of the contributions from the higher income earning spouse to cover the insurance premiums so the balance can keep growing over time. Now, it's the main spouse earner. He still gets the tax deduction. So he's still getting the tax-effective relief for the superannuation contributions. But it can help build the spouse's um, super as well. So I thought it was a really good strategy for these guys. And it's one I haven't used in a while as well. So I was quite excited to use it. Um, and, and I'm excited to talk about it because I think it's a really, really, um, really powerful strategy. It just doesn't get enough um, media attention, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. No, I, yeah, like you said, you still get the tax, the tax benefit from doing it. So it makes a lot of sense to split it, um, to split it across. And I think if, if that $3 million um, sort of tax does start to come in, like if they do legislate, then that will be something that like financial advisors will be starting to look into a little bit more. Like we said, we don't know what's going to happen um, and it, things can change down the track. But generally with um, SG contributions, you know, if someone plans on working full-time for the rest of their life, it is I guess you can somewhat predict how much their SG would be and what their balance could end up being in the future. So I think these kinds of strategies will start to play out a little bit more um, going forward. So we might see a bit more <laughs> spouse splitting going on, but no, I completely agree. I think it's a really good um, strategy. And yeah, we, the last thing we want is someone's balance going down while they're, you know, out of the workforce looking after the family, like, um, I just think it's so, so important to, yeah, be making sure that both, um, like, both people's super balance are going up where it can, so. Yeah. Great. And I think it just makes the, it makes the non-working spouse or the spouse who's on less hours still getting their financial reward um, for doing the work they are doing. Because um, looking after kids, I haven't got kids personally, but I, I, I hear they're quite a handful. So, getting paid for that work and getting super contributions on that work i think i think it's powerful um mm. but yeah it's it's interesting it's i don't think these strategies are ever going to be super super popular um i just don't i just, i think they i think a lot of people see them as being more work than they're worth but i disagree i think mm. they're definitely worth the um the extra effort to get, get it done and you might see the long-term benefits later on um with these with these different different strategies you can do later on in life when superannuation becomes more accessible for you guys. But Nick, that's pretty much all I had on these strategies. But I just wanted to, as I said, I was talking about it earlier in the week and I thought it would be a really good thing to sort of chat about because it doesn't get enough media attention, as I said before. But Nick, was there any, um, any final comments you had regarding um, spouse contributions, contribution splitting, or just the, the pay differential parental leave in general? Mm. Yeah, not too much more to add from me. I just think it's a really important one, like in terms of an awareness piece. Like we do know that women typically live longer than men as well and they have lower super balances. So they are at a higher risk of, I guess, running out of money and having to rely on age pension at an earlier age. So 
I just think, um, ladies, hell of a super balance. Um, and yeah, try and get things sorted as early as possible. Um, and yeah, just make sure you're considering it or that it is a part of the conversation that you have with your spouse when you're talking about, um, you know, the finances and family planning. Right. Anything more to add from you? No, I think, I think it sums it up quite well, but I agree. It's just, it's such an important topic. It needs more, more attention. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Well, hopefully we'll see it more in the media, but we'll be plugging it otherwise. So thanks so much for tuning in guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Beautiful. See you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at the John Kasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.